0: I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, the song that played me in is entitled Rosebud Queen. It is from the album Rosebud Queen. And it is sung by a Rosebud Queen, Jessica Brian. And I won't fucking bullshit you on this. That album, the album, is great. She's great. The songwriting, the music, the singing, I love everything about it. I streamed it a bunch. Thankfully, Lou from Perpetual Doom, God bless him, even though I'm an atheist, sent me a copy of the record. And I can't wait. I have It came yesterday, and I haven't had time to bust it out. But as soon as I'm done recording this intro, that shit's going to be blasting in my house because it's goddamn good. Uh, the album's been out a while. Perpetual Doom is re-releasing it on a special release of vinyl and cassette. You could, I highly suggest you buy it. It's all in the show notes. Also, uh, Jessica's... Bandcamp is also in the show notes and all things that are the splendid her. She also had another band that she fronted called Jessica Brienne and the Electric Carts, or yes, the Electric Carts. I thought I misread that. Anyway, doesn't matter. Also great, different, but wonderful. Uh, But this is more, and we talk about this in the interview, this is more her putting herself out there, and it's great. And I need to kind of apologize Uh, I referred in the interview and I don't I I I stupidly called her music country and I just kind of flopped out of my mouth and it was wrong. And we discuss it. She kind of corrects me. But I just wanted to say I was I actually honestly I tried to edit it out so I wouldn't look stupid. But it didn't fit. And I was like, you know what, this is the moment it happened. It's a real moment. Be honest and let it be. And I try to, that's what I try to do with my podcast. I like to keep it as conversational as possible. I edit if I absolutely have to. And I was like, you look a little stupid, Dwyer, but that's okay. Because it's not a country album. There's country tones. But, you know, it's not a country album. It's a goddamn good album. I'll tell you that. And you should check out her music videos too. And I'll put some of those in the links as well. Uh, I think she has a website. Uh, if Well, it you know what? All the great things live in my show notes. And speaking of my show notes, there's also a link to the part two of... Jessica and I talked for over two hours. Just a pinch over two hours. The second hour lives on my Patreon exclusively. You can become a Patreon subscriber... For $5 a month, all my Part 2s are on there. Most of my episodes have a Part 2. There's bonus content, blogs, all kinds of stuff. You can go to themattdwire.com. That'll take you to my Patreon. Keep it easy. And while you're there, buy yourself a the, the Matt Dwyer t-shirt. Or Dwyer Conversations Dwyer t-shirt. Buy a t-shirt. Or don't. Go around shirtless. I don't fucking care no one buys my shirts anyway. <laughs> I like them. It's the logo, but no one seems to buy them. Maybe I don't plug them well, or maybe I plug them like that, and that's not good marketing. I'm not a marketing guy. I'm not a capitalist. I'm a guy who likes to talk to musicians and artists. So sue me, and you will, because this is America, where everybody sues one another. Um, also, if speaking of my website, themattdwire.com, you... If you need a website, you could go to KellyRDeWire.com. She built my website. She builds all kinds of websites. Uh, she does other podcasts, political people, actors, podcast networks, all kinds of stuff. Go to KellyRDeWire.com If you need a website, she will do it. She's groovy. And I'm not just saying that because I made two kids with her and often have sex with her. It's also because she tolerates my bad jokes like that. Um, I believe that is everything. I I, I always be, I've been pitching the Climate Emergency Fund, please. Uh, that's also in the link. Please support the Climate Emergency Fund. They're doing great work for supporting climate activists. Uh, and I I've mentioned in other episodes that I have on October twenty eighth, there is an album coming out on Sub Pop that I helped produce and curate, and all profits and proceeds or whatever how that's worded go to the climate emergency fund there's no official link for that but believe me if you follow me on social media you won't stop hearing about this album also it's great it's a lot of great artists some older artists like mud honey and then a lot of new stuff mostly people who've been on the podcast so stay tuned for that and i believe that's it remember follow all things perpetual doom and jessica brian it's a great album and if I didn't say it, perpetual doom very much is my first my favorite uh people who put out music label it's called a labeled wire That's it. Thank you very much and please enjoy my episode with Jessica Brian no sleep, no man.
1: I mean, I don't know if you have much experience with Nashville, and I'm sure it's everywhere, um, but everyone is just so full of shit all the time. You know, it's like break down those walls and just be, come on. I feel... But that's just the entertainment.
0: It's probably just entertainment. I But like... Yeah. Has it always been that way, do you think? I feel like the old timers... Or, or maybe it's myth and legend, maybe. but I feel like they were a little less, like, like bullshit.
1: When I first moved to Nashville, though, people weren't as full of shit. It's just sort of as, I don't know, I don't know when it changed, but um, it was like everybody's playing a part now, whereas the people used to be like pretty transparent about what kind of people they were and the artists they kind of were, and now people are, like, playing parts, it feels like, and it's so
0: full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I don't know, and it's like, to me, that's the opposite of what an artist should be, like, right?
1: It's so frustrating. Because
0: it's like, to me, I feel like, you're an artist because you're trying to find some sort of truth about yourself or express how you see the truth
1: exactly and my thing is with artists that i love so much and that i continuously love throughout my life are the ones that are trying to connect to other people's souls like you know and to really connect and it feels like there are so many people that are doing that, but there's so many more people now that are sort of just like, look at me, look at me, rather than, hey, how can we connect? And how can you dive deep and really find a way to to connect to people? That makes sense.
0: It does. I feel like... Not to sound like this old motherfucker, but like, (laughs) like part of me can't help but think like social media is fucking us because it's like everything is a presentation. And it's like if everything's a presentation, then we are going to start losing what's real, right?
1: What's real? What's real?
0: What is real to you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Life <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, it is it is interesting for to talk about something else is like I have a really hard time with that kind of game, especially with being an artist. and you see so many people who do like the social media game really well, but they don't have much to give as an artist and that's I'm so worried about. I mean that's what life is is like people that make art that help you go through stuff, stuff that's really tough, that maybe you don't know how to explain yourself, but you hear someone else say it and you go, oh, my God, I feel a little less alone. Like, I just hope that that doesn't go away, where people are really making things that help us get through life, hard moments and all, you know?
0: I, yeah, I agree. I feel, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been it's, it's
1: overwhelming. <laughs>
0: It's something I've been thinking about a lot because I've decided to leave Los Angeles. Like, and making that decision, I feel like I'm like, oh, now I don't have to be as nice. Like, I don't have to say everything is great. Not that I necessarily did, but everyone, no, everyone's afraid of like truly saying something's a piece of shit. And it's like, not everything is great, everybody. It's just it's truth. <laughs> it's truth. So, did you
1: leave Los
0: Angeles? I will be in the spring. How long have you been there? 21 years this November.
1: Tell me, (laughs) (laughs) what is the soul like of that place with artistry? Because in my experience, it always felt really, and of course there's the outliners that are people that are, but the soul of that place feels so dark and hurtful. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's complex I found Pockets When I first moved I feel like it's changed a lot Since I first moved here too But I feel like there's I found pockets of people Who wanted to create good things And were being honest and pursuing art But I think You know on the broader scale Of like TV and film Which is the reason I'm here uh, It's gotten It's gotten I came from theater in Chicago, so I felt like there was this belief that if you do good work, it will get noticed. And I believed that when I came to Los Angeles and I was proven wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot of like people acknowledge what I did was good or liked it. But then they would be like, yeah, but we can't make this for A, B, and C. And I'm like, go fuck yourselves. So, yeah, okay, let's have another Spider-Man. How about you with Nashville? That's
1: that's so frustrating. It's very frustrating. Um, And it's like... Nashville...
0: Go ahead. Keep going. Oh, I just, like, I guess... What I learned the hard way about Los Angeles, and I'm not, and I was an actor, but I'm more of a writer, but I'm like, you don't come here to be famous, or I'm sorry, I said that wrong. You don't come here to be an artist. You don't come here to be creative. You come here to be a part of a business and mold to what they think it should be. There's no, I'm amazed any time there's a film that breaks through and does something revolutionary because it seems next to fucking impossible.
1: By the way, my other job is I work at a nonprofit um, theater called the Belcourt Theater, and we are an indie movie house, so I'm all into the movie world as well, which I also wanted to be like a director and a script writer. I used to write scripts all the time, but you kind of have to pick a lane until you make enough money to (laughs) do one or the other, you know, because it takes so much time to really focus on a bunch of projects at once
0: yeah when you how how long have you been in nashville maybe 15 years
1: maybe 15 and a lot of that i was gone for a bit because i was touring um but no i i've i've firmly lived here for about 15 years
0: did you come straight from uncertain texas which is the best fucking name for a town on earth <laughs>
1: I'm really from like East Texas, but uncertain. They're all like run together, but it is the best place ever. And I came straight from East Texas up here, um, and I would still live in East Texas because it is so beautiful and complicated. But there's just no opportunities for anyone creative there.
0: Yeah, at all. I, I've know little bits about Texas. I couldn't really tell you much about East Texas. We'd go to Big Bend when I was a kid. Okay. Every fucking year, my dad would go to... And he yeah. wanted to move to Terlingua. And thank God we didn't, because... Because <laughs> I would have been, like, the only kid. And I I don't know, I would have probably dated a rock or something. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But how was... what Was there a Nashville you had in mind that you moved to? Like, you, like, thought it was... I'm going to move to this place and then that sort of series of discoveries.
1: I am like, I wanted to go to school in New York, which I got into NYU, but I couldn't afford it. (laughs) So I went to a school in Nashville that I did not like very much, Um, but I met a lot of great people there. Um, But I came up here because I had a lot of opportunities when I was younger to sign with like on labels but I never took them because they wanted me to sing other people's songs and I always kind of stuck to my gut on that but I came up here because I thought it's closer to home and I can afford it um and <laughs> and then I met great people to be in an artist community with when I first moved here the artist community was really really vibrant and um and like people were very accepting and now it's kind of like a cool kids group um but I always say I want to move out of Nashville and I want to find an artist community because I'm I this what I lack so much are like artists that I can really communicate with about writing songs because I feel like everyone is sort of and there's no shame in that whatsoever you play the game how you want but um it's just playing the game of stuff. I did that for a while and it like broke my soul and it made me not less creative and um, with like searching within myself. So when I made that break of not playing that music industry game anymore um, and just dive deeper into myself, I've been so much more proud of my art. So I don't know how people can play the game and create at the same time. It's really hard.
0: Yeah, I can't. I don't know. I think uh, they function from a different center than, say... Like, you're trying to enrich yourself and f- fill yourself as an artist, where I think some people are trying to please the metaphorical mommy and daddy they didn't have. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like I feel, yes. And I feel like I did that for a long time. I felt like I was trying to... Fill some need from my childhood And then once I didn't have that anymore I was like oh I can Now I can create and just not give a fuck
1: Yeah When did that happen for you?
0: (sighs) I had It was a series of things But there was a couple like I I mean I always I didn't try to I had some things that came close And I was like it was art uh, It was scripts that I wrote that I believed in And they didn't happen, and I was devastated. And I think that was like a turning point. But I think seeing some friends get famous or get success, in quotes, uh, also made me uh, skeptical of the... Because that doesn't... No one I know who got pseudo-fame or sort of fame or money... Ever, they only seemed more miserable, and I was like, well, that doesn't seem like the fucking road for me, because <laughs> I'll just fucking drink myself to death.
1: Yeah, seriously, and lose yourself so much.
0: And it, it, L.A. has an undercurrent to it, as I like to say. There's an undercurrent here, and I've seen it draw, pull people under, and it's like once you're in that undercurrent, it's hard to get out of it, and you can't see what is truth and there's partying and which is you know god bless have fun but like i got really carried away in like a lot of drinking and a lot of what i thought was the right thing and once i got out of it i was like well that was a waste of time
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that a lot about all the time i wasted just around people in your early 20s you know
0: yeah was that oh go ahead
1: I'll say with the LA thing, um, there were these people from LA on this label that were, as they called it, courting us for a while when I was in a band called the Electric Hearts. And uh, they were really gross people. It was like a a guy named Jesse, uh, maybe I'll get in trouble for saying his name, but I don't care. Jesse James Dupree, he was like in that band where he played a chainsaw.
0: Oh, I know of that. Remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Playing a chainsaw, that's a real talent.
1: He was like, he and Keeper Sutherland started a label, and they were one of the labels that were, like, trying to sign us at a time. And the, his their energy was so, I never met Keeper Sutherland, but all the other people on that label, their energy were so bad, and they were, like, L.A., like, born and bred kind of thing. And they, um so funny they wanted to change everybody's always wanted to change me just a little bit to their liking um but they were so like that's when I used to play like rock and roll and they used to get so upset with me when I would go off stage that I would be like hey how are you doing like really how are you and they'd go you can't be a fierce rock and roll queen on stage and then be Dolly Parton like pick a lane and I always thought that was so strange because it's like what so you don't want people that are kind. And I'm so glad I didn't end up signing with them because they ended up going bankrupt pretty much after that. <laughs> but that is like my experience in a nutshell with industry people is like they always want to change me. And I've never understood why can't you be multidimensional? and Why can't you? What? That's so stupid.
0: <laughs> I don't understand that either. Like what do you, what's it fucking matter?
1: Like, I was going to sign a contract where I had to, like, act a certain way, like, be kind of a bitch. And I'm not a—I don't want to be mean to people. I want to help people feel good about themselves, not, you know? I also, Uh
0: -uh. like, maybe I don't know anything, which is more than likely, but, like, where's the long haul of somebody who's unpleasant? Like, that doesn't seem like a long career idea.
1: (laughs) No, People are going to grow tired of that real quick. People love a train wreck, though, so, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, why is that? I don't understand that either. Like, why do we, like, this?
1: I think it makes people feel better about themselves, ultimately, but it's harmful to, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's also, like, there's a sexist element to it, too, where there's, like, if you're the troubled man, it's just like, oh, you're a brooding genius. But if you're a troubled woman... You're so cool. <laughs> yeah, but if it's a woman, it's sort of like, you know, like you look at, like, I don't know, like John and Yoko. It's like, she was the crazy one who ruined... And it's like, really? Because she wrote the lyrics to Imagine. Just a little fun fact.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. People argue with me all that, without that all the time.
0: I just read it. John Lennon said it comes from a poem. He gave her, he said that he was wrong and he gave her, he took credit because he was a selfish, being selfish and masculine and he regretted Mm -hmm. it. But I think it's fascinating because it is, if you listen to the song, it's so different than lyrically. There, I know right there, but the Beatles, (laughs) but it's very different lyrically than his other stuff. And it's like quite like, it's, very different. It's like it's noticeably Because it's different. full
1: of hope in a beautiful way of looking towards the future. And his stuff was never really like that. It's like the dark brooding, um, more uh, narcissist kind of songwriting, which I guess what I love his songwriting so much. But it's not imagined, you know. That's a different language.
0: Yeah, it's very different. And it makes me, like, then I went, th- in my head, I went through a couple other songs. I was like, oh, I bet you that was her. I bet you that was her. <laughs> Yeah. When was there a point in like your Nashville where you were like, "Oh, this Na- Nashville has changed," or wasn't what you wanted?
1: Um. Well, I don't think I've. To be honest, I don't think I've ever really liked Nashville. <laughs> um. To begin with, I don't. I've never really felt like I fit in here. Because um, I felt like there's a lot of boxes, and I just haven't but but it started to really change um I guess when the city started to change quite a bit which was about six years ago maybe um it used to be that like there were poets and songwriters like you know that were really good like some of my favorite songwriters were people that were experiencing like homelessness and um they were going out and writing and people were involving them and now it feels like you have to have this kind of look this kind of background and be friends with these kind of people to uh have it to be included yeah um yeah but I'm used to that because I grew up in a town in an area that I've always felt like an outsider anyway so it feels comfortable to be an outsider um but I can't wait to live somewhere one day where I feel like I like fit in with um people with like minds
0: what how were you an outsider when you were younger and you
1: i um okay let me give you an example um like lead belly um he his grave is in moringsport louisiana and that's a 20 20- minute drive from my house so when I got my driver's license I would wake up before the sun would come up and go and watch the sunrise and write just to try to commune with (laughs) his like with spirits I used to hang out in graveyards a lot to write because I just felt more peaceful there and like um I just was able to tap into writing a little bit more and um, so I would go and do that before I would go into school and people just thought I was the weirdest and the craziest and people liked like country music and football and <laughs> I was like hanging out at <laughs> Lead Belly's grave before school and everyone else is like, that's weird. You'd wake up that early, first of all, and you go hang out and who's Lead Belly and you're like, what?
0: <laughs> I, so, can, I, can, I can relate to that a little bit. Did you always feel like, did, were you just like, I got to get the fuck out of Uncertain Texas? It's, Uncertain Texas sounds like it's a, from a movie, and if you, you were like, that's not a real place.
1: <laughs> look it up, look it up. Um, it's beautiful. It's the only natural lake in Texas that's a swamp. Wow. And it's wild. And people go there and, like, hide from the law because it's, like, really easy to disappear into. So you've got a lot of, like, it's wild there. People are their own, like, police, too. Um, it's crazy. And, like, it seems hard to believe, but just come home with me and you'll see. <laughs> like, okay. It's crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. It's weird. But it's just surrounded in wilderness, and it's, um, to me, very spiritual place. But it also is, like, very uh twin peaksies in the sense that there's a lot of darkness that lies there um that is hard to explain to others unless you go and it feels very kind of haunted and um massive so um i forgot what you asked me originally i just started talking about
0: (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i was taken away with it so i who knows (laughs) doesn't matter what made you did you feel like you needed to get the fuck out of there at a young age
1: um, I did just because I realized I didn't, um, though I feel so connected to the land um there, it just I knew that it's so set back in time, which is can be a good thing and can be a bad thing. Um, so it just I just wanted to be, I always knew when I was really young, I just wanted to be an artist. I didn't know what form that would be, but I've always been so dedicated and committed to that. And that's kind of, a. there's a couple of, there's a good handful of funky artists, people that live there. But um, when I was growing up, I didn't know them. And I felt really alone in that. And like my mom did everything she could to get me to, to help develop me as a, like a singer and stuff. And she would take me around to other States and I would sing like Patsy Klein and Etta James and stuff. So that's like a really early age. So I've been wanting to get out of there since I was really young, but I also feel really homesick when I'm gone from there as well. Cause it feels like my soul is really connected to that land.
0: Do you think you could end up back there?
1: Uh. <laughs> There's no opportunities for an artist there. And I would love to just say my backup plan is just to be a swamp woman and live on the swamp. But um, a lot of alcoholism there. Um, A lot of people kill themselves. I've had a lot of friends who have like it's it's really dark. And so, no, I don't. I would end up being an alcoholic or something really tragic would happen and I just don't want that to be my story because it's been a lot of it's been my dad's story and I don't want that to be my story so I'm trying really hard not to make it mine
0: that you know that's interesting just the the, the story of your family that you carry all of us I mean and not just you because mm-hmm. i think about that with my dad like and I know your father passed away I'm not sure how long ago but fairly recently correct and mine died when I was younger like I was 13 but there's a lot of traits I don't want of my father and I don't want to carry that story and it's and sometimes I see it and I'm like fuck (laughs) and it's I'm like how much of that is my DNA and how much of that is behaviorism or or the environment, the environment I was in. Like, it's, it's kind of crazy.
1: And also, I mean, I'm trying to figure out this song right now that I've been writing and it's, I don't know what to call it other than generational trauma. Like I realized that my father's family, which I was never close to them, Um, But my mother's side is all women and very close to them. But my father's side's got very dark history, and they all seem to die the same way, and they all give up in life the same way. And it's really—it makes me feel sorry for them, but then it also makes me just like, how do I break this cycle? I do not— And everyone's like, you're never going to turn out like that. And you're like, you don't know. You don't know when you're like, we're always on the break of our souls kind of breaking, especially like, it feels like life is so much harder now with everything. Like we're all on the brink of that happening, you know, it's about the, hopefully I can break that cycle, but we'll never know until, you know, I'm dead and gone and someone can (laughs) see.
0: (laughs) Have you ever felt you were on the cusp or even had your soul broken?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But I, that's the thing is I always climb back up through it. And that's the thing is the choice in which I know that I'll keep getting my soul completely broken. And I have like, manic depression. And um, so I get broken quite a bit. And then it's like the climb back up. Um, it's always the choice of whether to climb back up or just give up is that it's that precious moment there, which I have. I really think because of songwriting, I'll never just give up because that's where the best songs come from is when you're really trying to pull yourself up. And I feel like those are the songs that um, people identify with better as well.
0: And you've put a lot of that into Rosebud Queen, correct? Have you had people respond to that and say like, hey, you saved me, you helped me?
1: I've had a lot of people that, um, which um, it's really emotional really to sit and think about it because I haven't really thought about Rosebud Queen in quite a bit, but I even had just some friends talking about it the other day. And like when the song Huckleberry Eyes, like that song is about the death of my little soulmate, which is my pet. I've had so many people who have lost animals in the last like year, um, who also heard that song before I recorded it when I would play it out in Nashville and they would say, I can't stop thinking about this song. There's no songs about the death of a pet. And this has gotten me through this. I just had some people, some women telling me about some other songs. that have gotten them through some things. And that makes me feel so happy because that's the whole point of everything. And um, it's, it's really great.
0: Do you believe that to to some degree that to be an artist, you have to work from pain?
1: I think there's a couple of different types of artists. um, You know, someone said to me once, like, not every artist has to suffer. Um, And that's true, for sure. You can be an artist and it can work out. But for me, I I don't respect any of my work that I haven't been completely honest with the pain and suffering because a lot of times I used to like to hide it and mask it in metaphors and uh, alter egos and um, when I started to really address it and be honest about things I started to respect myself a lot more Um, but I, I don't like any artist that hasn't been through a lot of pain and suffering and I don't identify with songs and they don't stick with me for over a decade if it If that person, if you can't feel it, you know, but that's just me as a listener. Um, Other people don't go. There are like well-adjusted people out there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't trust them and I don't know any of them, but there are that don't need the pain um, to help get, you know, does that make
0: sense? Of course. Did you, do you feel like, because it's hard and I understand that like masking things, because I did the same thing. A lot. And I did it in life too. And it's a hard journey to go from, okay, I'm just going to put this out there directly. Even people who love and you feel safe with, it's hard to be like, Hey, I'm this or that, <laughs> or I've done this, that fear, which is really terrible. What a terrible culture we've created where people can't be themselves. Have you allowed? Have you been able to accept more things of yourself through that process? About yourself,
1: um, I have. Um, I will say though, I, I did way before I was was uh, started to write this way. I, um, I've always been very uh, aware of more hyper aware than I think of most people in their early 20s because I was dealing with a lot of like traumatic stuff and um some family stuff that was hard so I was kind of a always worried about the safety of parents so um I have always been really aware of what's been going on in my life but I was just scared to show it to other people because I um thought that I don't know, it's because it's also, I felt like I had to protect uh, my family. For a long time, I felt like I had to protect them so I didn't write about certain things. And then I realized that I wasn't doing anybody any justice and had to had to be really honest. And uh, that, to just open up as a songwriter in that way to say, no, you don't have to hide anything. It's a lonely you know reach out to people's souls even more clear but you have to be honest you have to live in your truth and uh, not hide anything and as soon as I did that I just I don't know I just like songwriting isn't as hard as it used to be either it just is so much more natural like I feel like my soul is actually like spilling out rather than trying to contain it like I used to
0: that's interesting did you feel limited with the electric carts like you couldn't do that with the electric carts and is that cuz I know like when you left you made a different turn with what you're doing with your music I was just curious if the electric carts did you feel also cuz you're dealing with other people that you were felt limited
1: um I did uh it was me and a bunch of guys um and uh what their thought of cool wasn't really my thought of cool but sometimes it aligned um but then as a when we first started out it, it didn't feel like that but as time went on um I felt like the more that I was being honest and vulnerable they wouldn't like certain lyrics and uh would pick them apart and that was so hard and that like broke my spirit quite a bit. And then when I was able to free myself of that, I'll never be in another band. I will never, (laughs) I will never cater myself or cut myself down because someone else doesn't think it's cool. Like that is one thing that um, I don't give a shit if someone likes it or not. And to be honest, it would be really great and sometimes it's hurtful, but I don't care because I'm going to keep making stuff and some people might think it's, it might speak to them and a lot of people are going to hate it. I was just reading the Buffy St. Marie autobiography and I left her take on it because, you know, she's got such a crazy, interesting voice and people either love it or hate it. And she said, a lot of people hate my voice and I don't care. It's like, yeah, I want to be, I always want to have that. I don't want to care if people like it. I want to just keep being true to myself and put it keep putting stuff out and not let other people modify me to their coolness because coolness is you know <laughs> everybody's got a different definition <laughs> <laughs> and I think being cool is being true to yourself.
0: Boy, it's it is that not giving a shit. Not is the key to being creative, it's truly the key and it's the hardest, I, for me, the hard, it was the hardest place to arrive at because there was always this part of me that was like, there were certain people I wanted to like it and I, it was like, except me, it was a, from need, it was a needy, it was from need and that's a bad space to operate from in all aspects of your life. <laughs> because if you're yes. needy when you're dating somebody boy will they fucking run
1: <laughs> been there
0: been there too uh
1: i uh i guess when on the electric carts are breaking up i so i put crazy post-it notes everywhere in my house to remind me of things or to like have songwriting ideas but mostly to like remind myself of truths um When on the days that I forget they exist, you know, we all have those days where you're like, I feel so solid today. And then the next day you're like, oh, I don't know what, but I started putting on post-it notes all around my house, um, impress yourself. And I had never really even thought about that until that age, which was probably about 24, 25. And I went, whoa, that's the secret. What, like, who cares if you impress anyone else? Like, I'm a very hard person to impress, so yes, I should be trying to impress myself, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, that's, I mean, part of the reason I'm leaving L.A. is, like, I'm like, you motherfuckers don't deserve my stuff.
1: (laughs) No. No. But I mean, I'm just like... I want to read your
0: stuff. I don't fit in here. Like, that's all it is, is I don't fit into this mold. And I want to go to a city where I can be creative and find something new and be inspired. That is, And I'll just write for my fucking self or whatever. I don't give a fuck.
1: Me too. How can we find this place?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping it's Minneapolis. But, you know, we could just... <laughs> you want to fucking buy a farm, we'll just start a commune or a cult even better if we could because then we could be like the gods and motherfuckers can give us money
1: mm-hmm. i'm a beekeeper so i can i can keep bees
0: do you keep bees now mm-hmm. that's awesome how'd you get into that
1: um when my soul was broken when the electric carts uh, we broke up and i started to go into another chapter and then i went I've always been such a nature driven person and I was had been touring and been in like city life and my soul was broken in the industry and I didn't want to be around people and I was like I really want to just learn something and go into a different world and that was beekeeping and I took a little break from music for a while just to learn so much about beekeeping because um, bees are so beautiful and fascinating and then I've started a little education programs where I would um, educate people on pollinators and how to keep them safe. And like every time I have a show, I have seeds to give to people so that they plant them um, to help strengthen the honeybee colony. But bees also kind of saved me um, at a time where um, I needed something other than music to define me,
0: you know? Yeah. That's key. I think, because I, that was the other mistake I made, is I was defining myself by my career. And that's a big fuck-up. <laughs> because when the thing that I thought was going to change everything fell apart, I was like, I just have to do this again. Like, I, it, that cycle will never end. And I was like, if I don't find something else, it's going to be a dark world.
1: It is, and it's so hard to start over and over and over again like it's you're like when when does it get any easier oh it doesn't yeah you better have other things that bring you joy and that you aren't defined by this or you won't make it out of here yeah in a good in a good way
0: and i would imagine bees are like uh, taking having to be responsible and take care of something else is well let me
1: i don't take care of them they take care of themselves i'm really non-invasive i just go in and give them more room to grow um and stuff like that so i'm not like taking they take care of themselves you know that's that's also a beekeeper mistake is that they think that they actually
0: are the god of the bees
1: yeah, yeah, no, we don't, we don't matter. we just, <laughs> we're giving them a home and you can help give them more space or not. But um, that's all it's really about.
0: Do you cultivate the honey?
1: I, I do, sometimes, I have a couple of times and I do it all by myself. And I only have killed like two bees when I've done it, which is really impressive because people usually kill a lot of bees to get honey. And they do a lot of really fucked up shit to hives to manipulate what they want. But um, I just let them have it now. And when they have too much then I'll I'll harvest them. But I don't wanna take what's theirs and their food. You know, a lot of people take honey and then give them sugar and water and that's like giving them, you know, McDonald's to eat you know, I don't know. It's like yeah. it's it's so it's so fucked up. But that's also like a lot of things about humanity is in it that we try to manipulate and play God. And it's for to serve nothing but your own greed or your own hunger, and that's just not a good way to live,
0: I don't think. It's the bulk of, I would say, the issues we're having with the world right now is that exact mentality. And I'm like, so many other cultures did not approach the world this way or the earth this way, and I'm like, man, why did the fucking Europeans get to win and rule everything because they're just... That has set a course for f- fucking everything up.
1: Oh, just rape and pillage. That's the answer to everything.
0: I just was reading this book about Crazy Horse, and there was this piece where Sitting Bull went to D.C. to like meet with the fucking assholes who ruined everything. <laughs> but he saw homelessness in D.C., and his first thought was, we would have never let this happen. And I was like, that was just... Fucking profound to me. I was like, we have such the fucked mentality of like, well, too bad for you. Like, it's just, it's insane. It's so wrong. (laughs) Let
1: me get mine. Forget you. Don't look at me. Don't, you know, that's so gross. I hate it so much. And I feel like. Humans are so disappointing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I don't feel like it's, I feel like that mentality has been cultivated to a degree where it's like it's been re- conditioned so often that that's how people think they have to be and it's like we don't have to it doesn't have to be this way it doesn't it wasn't it wasn't in certain cultures so why is it ours and why is ours right in quotes <laughs> <laughs> not because it's, it's not all
1: about right. the being like people learn from, you know, their teachers what to do to do that, to live in those cycles.
0: Yeah. I feel and, like, yeah. I feel like both of us may have grown up in that a little bit and snapped out of it though.
1: Oh yeah. But well, I've always been a rebel against if a mass majority of people think a certain way or think something's really cool, I've always been like, though I can't explain what I believe in. I believe in the different thing than you <laughs> kind of, you know.
0: Yeah Was NYU Were you trying to Was that film school NYU uh-huh.
1: Yeah I mean I spent years Writing a script And then filming something And I got in for script writing I just uh, It was either Well, Which one are you gonna do Also you can't afford I I don't I'm never My family doesn't come for money I don't Have money I work at a non-profit And I'm an independent artist So like Um Never really had any money But um yeah. Was it either? Do you focus on film or do you focus on music? And I thought I'm better at music and I have more resources because I have my like voice. Um, but with film, you know, you have to have you have to have money to have a nice camera and uh, um, same thing with instruments. I've been lucky to have been handing down some, but um, it's expensive to do all of those things. But yeah, I picked a lane, and I thought well, if I can maybe get a make a career out of music or keep being an artist in music then naturally film will come back into my life
0: is that would you say that was your first love creatively not
1: no music music i was one uh, like well i grew up in a uh, an old house that was built in like the 1800s and we had this weird fire escape that um uh, when I was really little, like that was the joke, and still is with my family, is that I would speak in tongues to like spirits and stuff, like sing because I would just see, be on those fire escape stairs, just like singing to the trees with my whole heart. And that's exactly who I am now. It's funny. Four year old Jesse is the same as thirty five year old Jesse.
0: <laughs> what what prompted what prompted your the Ma, your mom taking you out to perform like was that something you wanted to do when your mom would take you around and and what do you remember about that
1: oh I wanted it more than anything I wanted to just sing in front of people and um before I really started I started writing when I was about 12 so um and they were not good they're terrible songs so no wonder <laughs> no one wanted them <laughs> but uh, but my mom was always so supportive but you know Um, she took me everywhere that she could to get me to grow more as a singer and performer. And I respect her decisions so much because at pretty young ages, we had people um, trying to sign me for little, you know, kid albums and stuff at a certain age, but wanted to like, my mom just always said no, because she said, I want you to be able to be a kid. And I think that if you we do this, you're going to I think it messes with people's growth and their development. And I didn't understand that. I just went, why? Why can't I do this? <laughs> <laughs> and she had it right, though. She had it right, though. Um, and I owe her everything to uh, for letting me develop as a person um, as a soul and not be a commodity as a young thing. Cause she knew what she was doing and she couldn't really explain it either. She just knew it was bad for a kid to grow up and to also be something that was sellable, you know?
0: Yeah, I can't, I mean, I, I used to audition for commercials here and I, I auditioned with kids a couple of times and it was just like this, they were already learning how to present themselves and be fake and be like, thank you so much for, and I was just like, this is not a childhood. This is like really fucked up. And these kids are going to really get into cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) They're really going to love that stuff. But like, it was, it was alarming to see that I would. uh, So yeah. And I was going to ask if you regretted that, but you, you answered that. (laughs)
1: No, I would have... I'd probably be dead. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I have addiction issues, but I've stayed away from hard stuff because I know that I have an addictive personality. And if I had learned... If I had grown up that way and not been able to develop well, oh my God, I'd be in a gutter.
0: Yeah. Hey, I got addiction issues too. Look at us. <laughs> yeah, I've, I remember like... Doing cocaine and like sort of seeing myself from above and being and just being like this is you get off here get jump off this train now because it was like my buddy was talking about selling his stereo I was like yeah this is this is a bad road
1: (laughs) 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 oh shit how did we get here
0: yeah I wasn't like it wasn't like I was you know horrible but I was like if my friend is like talking about getting rid of stuff like it was just you know five six in the morning or whatever it's like. Don't know if you've ever gone down that road, but it's an ugly one.
1: I have never. You know who who scared me away from that. Also, I'm was glad that I saw that there were addiction issues already with me. But I I decided really really young to stay away from cocaine and hard drugs because I remember being like 13 years old and seeing Stevie Nicks on VH1. And she like looks at the screen so hardcore and she's like, never do cocaine. Doesn't matter how attractive it looks. It leads to, you got to have a lot of money and do you want to waste years of your life? And I don't know. She scared the shit out of me. Like it's better than any dare program. I just went, I'll never, I'll never do it, Stevie. I promise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how true it is, but I, I think she like blew out her nasal. Like she was bad. The all of Fleetwood Mac she, was bad.
1: She, she had a, yeah, it like burned a thing in her, sp- um, what is it? Sp- you, yeah. Starts with an S. Yeah. S- mm-hmm. Yeah. Septum. Septum. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Couldn't think of that. Um, yeah. And, but that wasn't even her worst addiction. It was the clonopin that a doctor described to her.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. What is that, to come
1: mm-hmm. down? Um, yeah. God damn. But she got so, that was like in the beginnings of Klonopin too. But as she puts it, she like shed her skin when she was coming off of that. Like they had her addicted to that stuff. And that's what ultimately made her black out for a few years. It wasn't the cocaine, it was the
0: Klonopin. Was she productive in those few years? Because that's important. Was she making people money?
1: <laughs> um, she was making people money, but if you watch any of that stuff, any of her videos, any of her live stuff, she's not. She's not there, wow. and, um, and not there. Her soul's not there. And it, I mean, I love looking at through all the footage of through the years and being like, "Yep, she's totally on it." Then, <laughs> um, and then when she gets off of it, how much clearer she is uh, when she comes back. So.
0: Uh, when you left, or when the Electric Hearts broke up, was did you know what you wanted to do, or did that take some time? I mean, I guess you talked about the bees and all that, but I was like, did you know you wanted to go in more of like the sound that you... Would you call it country? Do you call what you do country? What do you call it? Do you label your music?
1: No. I don't like to I don't like to do that cuz I don't like to stick in a genre and people have always tried to get me to stick to a genre and I just think that's so destructive but someone else called this country music and I was like is this country music?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I didn't like it just came out of my mouth. Don't now, you now I think me this now? is
1: the confusion. No, no. I don't hate you at all. <laughs>
0: okay. Let's go get now, tattoos.
1: The, Yes, let's do it right now. I don't have any tattoos, but I'll do it for you. I'll go get my first one. Oh,
0: I appreciate that.
1: (laughs) Um, I will say, I think that there's maybe a a separation that happens in people's heads where, like, I'm very Southern, and a lot of my songs have a lot of Southern imagery, and it's undeniable that I'm a Southern writer. But um, I wouldn't say out country. Country's such a... I love old country music. It has such soul, but new country music is just a bastardization of.
0: Oh, I wasn't associating you with new country, please. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I find, because on occasion, because I love old, the old stuff as well or anything in that vein. But like, I hear some new, like I worked in a bar a few years ago and there was like new, somebody would place. And I was just like, this isn't country. This is like, I don't know what the fuck this is, but it's it's not country. And it's like more pop rock. Like it's like just all all top 40 just sort of blurs together in one big overproduced fucking slick bullshit sound to me. <laughs> like it all is
1: they're just branding. They don't care about the music. They're just branding. They just want people to buy into the lifestyle brands.
0: Yeah. Gross. cuz like some of that country it's like it's just a rock song But it's like Oh but there's a slight twang So it's country But I'm like Don't country fans Like dudes in the pickup trucks Don't they go This isn't This is bullshit This ain't Johnny Cash
1: Maybe the older generations But not You know Yeah I don't know Cause being in Nashville Is such a weird thing Like uh There's so many different music Communities here And that music grows stuff, Which is literally Just down the street Um, It feels like it's on another planet, though, because, you know, (laughs) it's so gross. It's so gross. And our city now has become, like, the bachelorette capital of the U.S., and, like, it's all people that love that kind of music that come here and just, like, rage on party boats that drive down the street. You're just trying to go to work, and there's, like, 20 women at 9 a.m., like, singing some gross song with, like, pink cowboy hats, and you're like, what? I didn't know I got on this ride. Get me the fuck off of it.
0: <laughs> wow, that's... so is, It's awful. Is Nashville, I mean, become... I mean, this seems to have happened with a lot of... Even Austin. Like, is it just become totally... I don't know how else to describe it as...
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's... Uh, the city sort of tames it, you know, molds itself around this new tourism, which is the Bachelorettes. And it's disgusting, because you know, people do whatever they want to on vacation. But if you're trying to like, when I have children, I don't want to raise them in Nashville, because it's a very warped sense of you just going down the street, trying to just take care of your business. And then you have women puking in the streets, like, that are there to just be really debaucherous. Um, It just is vile, you know, it's like, and it's, Kind of, and, I hate, and no shame on anybody, but it's definitely the, the, like, opposite of my personality very much, you know. And there's so many of us in Nashville that are just so disgusted by this. But there's reasons that keep us here, but it feels like we're in this weird drunk bubble of consumerism. It's gross.
0: Is it, because, I mean, like, being from Chicago, there's a segment of the city that's that and then there's like little pockets where it's you're like, oh, it like it's other world. same with Los Angeles it sucks, kind of sucks now because it's all money. But the neighborhood I first lived in when I moved here, it was like very working class, but also intermingled with like artists. And it was kind of great. And now that neighborhood's all just fucking trust fund kids. <laughs> Is that also an element of Nashville trust fund kids?
1: um i'll say this is that what i've realized now um as time goes on is that anybody that's really that's and it's not true for everyone of course of course of course but there's just so so many artists now but when you're like wait a minute how are you able to do this to make a living like And like, I've always had a full time job along with being an artist because even at times when I was getting money, it wasn't enough to uh, pay my rent, you know, like just pay my rent and, you know, gas and stuff. Um, I'm realizing that uh, though, a lot of these people, when you go, because people don't like to talk about, like, how do you make money? Because I ask that to a lot of artists when I see them do stuff. I go, hey, how do you like supplement your income while you're doing this? And the answer most always is like they're they're ashamed of saying it but their mom and dad are paying their bills and these are people in their late 20s 30s that like
0: um yeah I don't know. i'm conflicted by that because i grew up like working class we weren't fucking yeah. flush at all i think i got lucky because when i moved to chicago you could like it was cheap and you could live in a sketchy neighborhood but not like Get shot in the head Sketchy (laughs) But like And you could Work a fucking Weight tables job And be an artist And like I'm like If I made a lot of money Would I Would I let my kids Would I pay for my kids Because I didn't have that So part of me feels like You know what I mean Like I don't want my kids To struggle like that But I also want them To be honest artists If that's what they do I wouldn't know what's right What would you do I'll do what you do (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't know. You're my Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm, no, I'm going <laughs> to totally spoil my kids. But if I I was thinking about this the other day, like, I want to help my kids, however, but I'd want them to be honest. And I think a lot of, I mean, if you grew up in a working class family, I mean, so did I. And it's watching our parents, like, work really hard to sacrifice, too, for, for us to, like, for me to have, like, braces, you know? Um Yeah. I don't know. All these, some of these, a lot of these people that I see that are supported by their family still to be an artist—they're not saying anything of worth. That's what I keep putting together, and I also hate to sound bitter because I know that some bitterness lies in there with that, just naturally. But um, those aren't the people that are that are like making stuff that's impressive either. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I would tell my kids like you need to know how to do real life and know how to take care of yourself no matter what and figure shit out so yeah no i would make them work and but not as hard as
0: yeah (laughs) i also find myself being very biased like i've like grant parsons is a rich Mm -hmm. kid and i'm like kind of part of me goes ah fuck you like immediately and i In my defense, I've never been that crazy about his music to begin with.
1: (laughs) I was just thinking about this the other day. I think about him. I get upset. And then the other day, one of his songs came on, and I went, I just love his voice. (laughs) I can't be mad at him.
0: (laughs) And he was handsome. But then it's like... And it's also, it's like, you know, he didn't have a big window there. He was fucking in and out. So it's like, he might have just went to, like, I say that about Jim Morrison all the time. It's like, if that dude would have stuck around. He would just have been some fucking bloated asshole no one wanted to be around. <laughs> like, I'm not that, like, there's door songs I like, and there's a lot of door songs I don't like. But yeah he definitely was charismatic and he had a thing. So I I'll give him that.
1: I was obsessed with him when I was in high school. Like, one of my first screenplays I ever wrote was, like, about a little kid who was obsessed with Jim Morrison and would just speak like Jim Morrison and dress like Jim Morrison. I mean, I was obsessed. And then when I got older and got to be aware, I was like, you would have never wanted to be around him. It was a disgusting
0: person. I know. He probably smelled, too. Like, dude always wearing leather pants and being fucked up. Like, you're going to stink. <laughs> God, Mm-mm. how I pity the He's woman been around took... people yeah, Mm-mm. I pity the woman Mm-mm. who pulled down his pants <laughs> I'm interested this how old was the kid in the screenplay who dressed like Jim Morrison? I want him to be eight
1: <laughs> he was he was he was too young to be completely aware of things, so that you know when we all adopt personalities yeah. or people let you know when we're little and really go for it like i. I still love this character one day I hope maybe to bring it back but no I I love the idea of an eight-year-old like waking up and like pretending like he's Jim Morrison and to his mom and saying you know like I'm the lizard king at certain points of the day and you're like you're a little kid shut up
0: <laughs> I think that's a really I like the idea a lot I also like in the movie The Doors that the great American poet Jim Morrison's last words are "Let's go get a taco." (laughs) I always just like—is that a calculated choice to make? Because it's like that's the great poet's last words.
1: Yeah, Oliver Stone.
0: He had to make sure that was the last. Love it. What were the filmmakers that drew you towards uh, attracted you to film?
1: Um, really anything I could get my hands on, um, but, uh, I guess when I was younger, younger.
0: Was there, yeah, did you have, did I mean, sorry.
1: No, you go ahead.
0: I was just curious, like, cause <laughs> if what you had access to in Uncertain Texas.
1: So, Bob Blockbuster was uh i rented all the things that nobody else would rent which were i were all independent movies um and then we had a little movie theater but to see something like regular, you'd have to drive to shreveport louisiana and see it um but no i was trying to consume and that's at the time where you had to like ask people that were older than you like hey what are you watching can you like give me all the information I can get since the internet wasn't, you know, around and you couldn't just hop on that thing and learn more. But yeah, it was blockbuster (laughs) RIP. Um, (laughs) like, um, and now I, I don't, I, I don't like a lot of the things that started me off writing scripts, but it was like really simple things that I would watch that I'd go, Oh, I could maybe write, something, because this seems pretty simple, um, like things like clerks um, and uh, like mall rats. Well, it's all Kevin Smith stuff, which, you now I can't stand. But um, that's what <laughs> that's what I was like. I'd look at that stuff. And like I remember when I saw the squid and the whale, I was like, I can write a I want to write something like this. So it's funny is I didn't have much uh, access to women filmmakers then. Um, so it was mostly males that were the example for me, but the doors, the movie, the doors really got me writing scripts and little, little plays and stuff too. just anything that I could get my hands on. I would watch over and over and over again and try to learn how to write uh, a form and a script based on some of those things, you know?
0: Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. If you want to continue this splendid conversation, there is another hour at my Patreon. You could It's in the show notes. The link is to the episode. You could just go and to it and then become a Patreon subscriber and listen to the part two. Or you could go to themattdwyer.com and become a Patreon subscriber. It's a really great part two. We had a really good time. Thank you. No sleep, no mess.